and welcome to yet another awesome episode of Not Wasting a Single Story. I'm your hostess with certainly the mostest, Dr. Gamutrai Mutezo. Today we're looking at a very interesting component of the waste management spectra and that's converting waste into animal feed. I found this interesting because it's only three, four years back that I realized it's an actual thing. And it was through having a conversation with a friend. The more I read about organic waste to animal feed, the more I got intrigued. And lo and behold, I came across this lovely gentleman who actually does that kind of work. I'm like, hmm, this is a person I need to befriend so that I can really appreciate what is this thing and how it operates. Wandile, I'm really delighted to have you on the hashtag green couch. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me and inviting me here. Great. Now, as I've told you, this is a conversation, okay? I want to know a little more about you. Who are you? What did you study? And how on earth did you find yourself in waste management? Well, that's actually quite a, a long story. Um, well, I'm actually from the Eastern Cape uh, up in the Amatola Mountains, where my family does a lot of farming, from chicken farming, cattle farming, as well as planting. So one of the biggest problems was to lower the cost of feed because it always costs a lot to raise chickens versus what you would make from selling them. And remember, at the time, this was in the 80s, 90s, the... Um, biggest market there was the pensioner or the single mother who is in the village and needs to actually feed her children. So you couldn't charge them that much. So my grandfather used to try a lot of interesting things around augmenting the feed, like dried millicobs, insects. And one of the things he used to do was to take cattle uh, manure, pile it up and cover it in a plastic bag throughout winter and then what he'd do is open it up and allow the chickens to scratch through it, which supplemented their feed. So from there, I really got interested in insects, going as far as studying uh, at Rhodes University, where I did an undergrad degree in microbiology and entomology, focusing on the interaction between microbes and, and insects um, in ecology. So from there, I moved on to biotechnology and, yeah, forgot about it for many years when I went to corporate doing consultancy until I came across someone who had a similar problem to my grandfather. And I realized that actually I was wasting my time in corporate. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and went back to agriculture, which mm. is my first love, starting Capri um, about six years ago. And then from then on, we've sort of been building and building from there. Okay. Is this a conversation that you grew up having in the family that, hey, granddad, hey, mom, I want to make animal feed from waste? Or is this something you got exposed to when you got to tertiary? Well, it's one of those things that where this was happening, but there was no conversation Yeah, uh, in that it was normal that you, in order to supplement feed, you actually have to create a scratching pad for, for the chickens mm. and you needed to use the resources that were available in the farm yeah. for that. So to be able to do that, it was quite natural. For me, the clicking was when I was outside of varsity, when I was learning, because I remember one of... Um, 
my third year project was focused on using uh, insects, the use the use of insects in in the economy. I figured that it was like an easier project. I'll be done within three months. Yeah. And from there, that's when I first read uh, a paper on black soldier fly, which was written by a university of Pretoria student in 1942. 19 what? 1942. So in 1942, mm-hmm. he, this student, the name I've just forgotten, saw that there was going to be a time where the price of fuel was going to increase. So imports such as soya and fish meal would be so high that we needed an alternative. And he proposed grasshoppers, fly larva, as well as other other inputs mm. as protein. So everyone forgot about that in 1942 until the Chinese started doing it in 1990s and then South Africa started doing it in the 2000s. Yeah. And I suppose it's actually on that premise of this podcast and many others that we want to have the conversations around waste, urban energy, planning, because these are the realities that we're facing on a daily basis. And the mindsets towards opportunities within the value chain are unknown unless we actually talk about it and people are able to relate to it. So I'm hoping that in the year 30. 2040, if there's such a thing, <laughs> this conversations will also inspire those at that time to continue being innovators as you've done with the animal feed. Now, earlier you mentioned some big words, stuff like that. Basically, biology. <laughs> yes. What are you saying? What's what? <laughs> okay, biology. So, well, it all goes under biology. Okay. One is entomology, which is a focus on insects and human interactions. Huh. So whether okay. they are, we use them, whether they attack us as disease carriers, whether they're important like bees in terms of food, because insects are quite critical to our survival as human beings. Fascinating. So I must not chase away flies. <laughs> flies have a role in the economy uh, and they have a role in every ecosystem. If you kill all the flies, you're going up to your, the, up to your neck and dead bodies within a year. Okay, fine. So, <laughs> cockroaches, can I kill cockroaches? No, cockroaches have a role, but uh, cockroaches seem to exist where human beings exist most of the time. Ah, good. So Fine. Created. Okay. <laughs> Can't get rid of them. Please continue. Yeah, so it's that. So microbiology is, for me, the interest was what is what are the microbes that exist within the insects, especially coming from the farm. I mean, you'd see diseases that are carried, like horse sickness, which comes from mosquitoes, bot flies, which attacked our sheep and grow inside them. And then you look at the microbes that actually are involved in there. So from there, to join all of those into one working module, biotechnology, which allows you to use microbes and insects to create products, new services, and new approaches. So there's been a huge uptake in the world for more biotech solutions, especially uh, first-generation biotech, which is what I do, and second and third-generation biotech, which is the products that we produce that are born from uh, nanotech as well as other technologies. So it's a developing uh, industry. Yeah. Which, but it for me it lands it, it lands into a very interesting industry in South Africa because I do believe, when it comes to biotech, we do better than everywhere in the world because yeah. we have the biodiversity, and it's also another way to leapfrog the West. Yeah. Uh, 
through innovation and technology. Who would have thought that insects could offer such opportunities, right? Opportunities such as entrepreneurship. Because now you've been running Capri for the past six years because of insects. Indeed. How's been your journey as an entrepreneur? How did you wake up and just get things going? It's actually been quite interesting because... My friend, choose another word, not interesting. Because when people say interesting, (laughs) deep down they want to be like, yo... That's true. Oh, oh my the, God. The, there is the the exhilarating horror of being an entrepreneur in South Africa. <laughs> exhilarating. It's what we call interesting. Yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite interesting because um, if you come into South Africa, you do know from our history mm-hmm. that we've all have different access to various capitals, whether it's social capital, uh, economic capital, as well as that. So it's actually quite easier sometimes when you uh, exist outside of that. So if you're like me and you come from a rural area where pretty much the existence has been uh, at a subsistence level for a while, it's a real big step to jump into entrepreneurship. So one has to sit and really think about what it is that they are actually trying to achieve. So for me, one of the things I did is that I actually got a to do my master's at Fitz Business School, mm. where we were, it was in management, uh, new venture management and entrepreneurship, new venture creation and okay. entrepreneurship. It was a very interesting program because I got to study various models of entrepreneurship in the end, I actually had to do a research project. Mm. And the research project for me was, how would one finance a biotech company? Because it costs a lot of money. You do R&D research and all of that. We see these things in movies. When you finance a biotech company, it looks so fancy with the equipment. Now you have to do this in Africa. You have to pay for every one of those and, and all of that. So it, was, it, was, it really was hairy. Mm. So the entire master's year for me was to create a model the model of starting a biotech company when broke that's how i explained it to my daughter at the time mm. <laughs> it was like when you how do you start a company when you have no money yeah so it was really putting together a model where government uh, support private sector support whether it's downstream of the process, in other words, from the product, who was going to buy the product, or upstream, who's going to provide the the equipment, the financing that leads that. So from there, it was actually following that cookbook and understanding that if I do it that way, it would take a bit longer, but it would also lower the costs of entry. So one of the things that I've done is from then on started mentoring other entrepreneurs based on the same model yeah, uh, and then getting them to really put together a proper funding plan for every stage. Because one of the things that we sometimes do, I, I, I notice I do this thinking to myself where there's this self-defeat that happens. Mm. When I start, I want to start a business, but I have no money. But what is it that I have? I am in Africa. I'm African. Mm. I am in South Africa, a company that has a country that has a lot of uh, programs that assist black uh, entrepreneurs to start. I also exist in Africa where there's a need for industry to transform. Yeah. So to be able to put together a package that speaks to those, mm. 
that would lower the costs of entry into the market as well as stretch me enough so that I keep being engaged. Yeah. So that's pretty much how we've built Capri. Okay. Let's delve into this a little more. There are two components I'll put on the table. There's the component of how do I know which insect will make money for me? Do I need to know a person like you who's got a biotech background or can I watch YouTube videos? That's one. And the second element linked to it is convincing some of these role players that your chosen insect can make the money because eventually there will be that conversation of what's the return? How can a cockroach make money for me? Indeed. Mm. That's actually interesting in there. That's where I think for me, being being from a biotech background and having an understanding of that, of the farming side of it and having an, it became easier to have the conversation because if I go to Peter who has chickens and say it costs you X amount to raise your chickens. Mm. And the reason it costs X amount is because you have to pay A, B, C, right? I'm trying to simplify it yeah. so that I did that. So these ingredients, these inputs are necessary. I have a product that I can bring that can remove your need for one, two, so your production will be cheaper, you'll make more money. And here's a free five kgs. Mm -hmm. Come back to me and uh, after a week and tell me if it's made a difference. Okay. So that's the client side. Yeah. On the other side, you actually need to find now a business that has a problem. So one of our first, um, one of our first clients was an abattoir in Mohala City. I happened to be at the CSIR for a meeting, mm. for a testing meeting, and walked across the room and there was a meeting of the abattoir sector and someone was making a presentation on waste problems in the abattoir sector. So as I was sitting there and I sat down and they were talking, talking, I was like, okay, cool. I know something about abattoirs. I mean, we used to take chickens to the abattoirs and whatever. Yeah. I know something about abattoir waste. But this is interesting to notice what problems there are. So I'm in a space where these people are talking about their product problems. And you're like, I'm like, mm. so, so I met, I went to the man, uh, Mr. Gus Farkerson. He's uh, retired now. Yeah. I have to always drop his name because he was, he humored me. So I went to him and spoke to him about, listen, really interesting talk and whatever. Have you actually ever tried biocontrol? Um, using insects to, to deal with your problems. Like, ah, you know, everyone comes with a story about this and whatever and whatever. I was like, okay, can I arrange a meeting with you? He's like, yeah, but I don't think this thing is going to work and whatever. I was like, okay, Gus, cool. So I basically go and do a research on Gus, what he studied, a UP graduate mm. who was like really expert, is seen as a person who's known. And then finding out that he had a waste license Went on Google to check the business. I noticed it had a, f a really large area that was not being used on the other side. Mm. And it was on the news because it was once damaged by a storm. Mm. So I went to him with a proposal. Listen, I can come set up here. It's not going to cost you anything. I'm going to be uh, treating your waste. And whatever rent, you're going to charge me rental. 
X amount. So whatever rand of waste that I do, because we're going to price your, your waste at X amount. Yeah. So if I manage to actually beat my rental, then I stay for free for as long as that goes. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, thinking that it was going to be a month. So a year later, we had actually registered <laughs> products. We were there. We we're running and we we're solving his problems. And when COVID hit and the abattoir was sold, we moved from there to a farm. Again, yeah. same process. Yeah. We can help you feed your pigs, feed your chickens, and deal with um, with the, the utilization of space here. And then the farmer said yes. So even now, we've actually graduated to working with bigger companies. Again, it's always been about focusing on what is the problem that they have and how can we provide a solution that automatically goes into their bottom line. They yeah. need to see first month, there's a difference. Yeah. And then you can move in from there. And also being able to... A friend of mine actually who does philosophy says that you should be able to eat and sleep philosophy even though you might lack food. <laughs> Which That I, is very philosophical. You need to be able to eat and sleep philosophy even though you may lack food. Indeed. Fascinating. Please Google that. <laughs> Lord. Sorry. Yeah, so... <laughs> So what that means for him is mm. simply this. You have an idea. You have an idea that your system works. You need to believe in it enough to risk it and have that, that belief sustain you when you make the mistakes, when the results are not coming as they're supposed to, and always be able to focus on what it is that you want to achieve and then flow towards there. I so, just feel so inspired right now. Sorry, continue. Perfect. Um, yeah, so pretty much Capri has been has been that. We've been working, been a lot of setbacks, as you know, within a resource-poor environment like South Africa. Yeah. There's been a lot of changes in the market. There's been a lot of changes in the rules. There's been a lot of heartbreak and some really good victories within there. Let's speak a little bit about the heartbreak because as entrepreneurs in the green economy, right, when you open up your LinkedIn, <laughs> it's accolades upon accolades. And it's lovely. It's lovely that we celebrate people's stories and achievements. But seldom do we actually get to hear the heaven, Father God, Jesus Christ, you know what? Those stories just to remind us that, hey, there's a human being behind this. What have been some of your worst, if not Best molding cases. Some of the most, probably the most heartbreaking thing that happened was during uh, just after COVID when we had closed for COVID and we were slow. The first week that we decided, okay, we're going to start opening up slowly. Mm. There was uh, riots and people went in and stole our equipment and broke <laughs> It was really weird coming into our facility mm. and looking around and going, oh, flip. <laughs> what are we going to do now? Mm. And it was really strange because we decided, uh, because we were actually mothballing everything, to cut back on the insurance, to cut back on everything. So it was literally on our shoulders mm. to do that. So that was the heartbreak. The most heartwarming thing that happened after that process is 
a company that we had been talking to for about a period of two years where they hadn't decided on what to do and they promptly told us that they were not really interested in our solution and whoever called us and says, hey, 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 are you ready? We, we're going to go. So it went from flip, we are in a deep, and to wow, there's hope. Yeah. And that company assisted us because they said, okay, cool, we can fund you to get up so that we can actually work. You'll, we'll just give you a loan and then you're there. So we actually did it from that. The disappointment was that at times, though, the company is willing, you don't have the resources to, to meet. So we we're lucky that they said, we want you on board and we're willing to help you get there. Okay, that's a heartbreak story, but it ended up well. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> We're not looking for the well part. <laughs> not looking for the well. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a reason why we don't talk about the. You don't find any books written on entrepreneurial failure. Why? Actually, it's a hard thing to admit, and it's more important to talk about because you're reminded that these are the realities of starting a business. The kind of challenges you'd find in a different sector versus what you find in our sector. You may think you're the only one in that space, right? Because at the end of the day, you miss out on those opportunities of realizing that you can actually have opportunities from a fly. Who knew flies? People are setting up businesses with flies. Mm. Fascinating. But again, if you are not talking about the challenges and sharing a gin and tonic over it, are we going to grow this space? Are we going to grow our industry? I think it's more cultural than anything. In, we're in a society, think about it. Okay. My parents, my mother was a teacher, mm-hmm. and my father started off as a teacher and went on to other things. Yeah. The entire family outlook was, uh, you're going to go from the village, finish your high school, and then go to Forte to study teaching, lawyer, or what, pre-med. Mm. Engineering? And not at Forte. Accounting? <laughs> yeah, you could do accounting okay. and all of these things. But you were geared towards a job. Yeah. The reason why you get towards a job is because there's a huge embarrassment to people who try and do something different and fail. Fake one. So we're not a society that actually is tolerant of failure. If you think of our bankruptcy laws, for example, simple. Mm. In America, you can file for bankruptcy and then after a period of about 12 months, you can reapply and restart your business and go. In South Africa, how long does it take? Three, four years. I know people who've actually filed and because we get penalized for failure because our society was not designed around entrepreneurship. It wasn't designed around risk. It was it was a closed society that was essentially a nanny state. So anyone who basically did anything different suddenly became suspicious. Mm. It's the same as in entrepreneurship. We want to celebrate those who succeed and who do that. But look at Twitter, I, I love Twitter. Twitter is like a very interesting look into the psyche for society. Yeah. The glee that people have when a person fails. That's what most people avoid. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. It's a sad truth and a sad reality, but it doesn't stop us from trying, right? 
No, it shouldn't. I mean, culture can change. I mean, culture can change. We can, yeah, we can adapt and change, but not many people want to be the, the first one in there, yeah. Okay, I'm feeling a bit sad. Let me change the topic a bit. <laughs> All right, as we come to the end, two things. Again, I like putting things in twos. For those aspiring to be part of the waste beneficiation value chain, right? Where within the animal feed value chain specifically are untapped opportunities? Because right now we're talking a lot about black soldier flies. We're talking a lot about the vermicompost element. It, there could be more that we don't know about. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunities that are there. And also for me, the most interesting ones are the ones that exist on the conservation space. Throughout okay. Southern Africa, everyone actually, most people who are inland and closer to the Tropic of Capricorn, eat mopane worms. Yeah. So over the years, there's been a decrease in mopane worms populations, which means that there needs to be a way of preserving the, the natural mopane worm population yeah. and decoupling it from the industrial usage because industrial usage of the resource will lead to its extinction. Yeah. So there's a space there for people who can find a cheaper way of rearing commercial scale of bunny worms. Fascinating. Okay. So that's so looking at one. And then the second one is every year we complain, every few years we have a problem with uh, locusts and grasshoppers in South Africa that are that are actually they're in Southern Africa. Pretty much it's a problem throughout Africa. Last year in Egypt they had a similar thing, which is quite funny because mm. I went to Egypt and there was a biblical plague happening. <laughs> No one to laugh out loud, my loan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we f we don't ask ourselves why grasshoppers and why they do that. Mm. Grasshoppers respond to climate change. They respond to agriculture. But if you take those grasshoppers, that's a ready-made food. Mm. That's a high-protein, high-fat, natural feed ingredient. And in Africa, the whole continent, we have a 30% deficit in animal feed protein. Ooh, so grasshoppers can be used as animal feed. Yeah, they can. They actually are used in places like Ghana, Botswana, in, in, in small scale. Okay. But the problem there is a problem of logistics. Yeah. yeah. Because the resource exists and it's in abundance without the content. But how do you move it from where it's a problem to where it's an input yeah. is the biggest question. So maybe there's a space there for... Transporting grasshoppers from point A to point B. As well as predicting, uh, managing the resource as well as actually that. So there's a there's a space there for information systems. There's a space for logistics. There's a space for planning. This is really interesting. I'm just really bamboozled because grasshoppers are snacks. You know, just roast one on the fire, cousins, corn, Bob's your uncle. Little did we know we're eating our profits. I don't see why you can't actually have them in a restaurant. It's like if you go to Thailand, you can order an insect dinner. In South Africa, we eat insects, but somehow we're embarrassed to buy them at the store. 
Okay, I like this because it also means there are opportunities even in the food industry, the restaurant industry, where you start to package some of these insects for um, not just, I suppose, bespoke offering, but an actual high-protein meal. Indeed, like get bodybuilders to bulk up on grasshoppers. (laughs) Why not? Okay, don't take that idea. I'm using it. All right. (laughs) Then the second and final point as we conclude is with all of these wonderful ideas we've just unpacked, can these happen in our urban spaces or should they be happening in peri-urban and rural spaces? I think the thing about insects is that you always find them where there is the waste resource. Okay. And a lot of them are quite robust. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about the solution that we have for one of our clients, which is in an urban space, they had a waste problem and didn't want to transport the waste. So we have a waste bioconversion module, which runs on black soldier fly that can be placed at the place where there is the waste problem. You process the waste there and you don't actually have the cost of transporting the waste. Mm. So your waste suddenly becomes a resource and you can actually sell the products of that unit to pay for it for the cost of having it there. Okay. Basically decentralizing within our urban areas, it's possible. Indeed. It means I need to chat to a town planner about this and figure out if we can have zoned spaces and retain the waste material wherever it may be instead of having the challenges of logistics. Yeah, it's pretty much, yeah, it's a rethinking our cities. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to use that in my next episode. (laughs) Andela, it's been a treat chatting to you. I really do feel inspired and excited about the opportunities specifically that insects provide. And you've really debunked some of the myths around these big words of entomology and biotechnology and entrepreneurship all linked up. So I'm hoping that our guests, listeners, viewers will certainly be able to draw a lot of insight from this and possibly reach out to you as well and find out how they can also explore not just the entrepreneurial ventures that come with it, but it's an entire linkage to a circular economy it's an entire linkage to climate change and most importantly we're just being reminded that when all else fails go back to nature so ladies and gentlemen this was yet another session of not wasting a single story until next time goodbye <laughs>